Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, my name's Nick. I host the podcast here. I'm also the CEO at a Shopify marketing agency, and I run a little consultancy in London called Spec Digital. Although I was just telling somebody we go by Spec, but Spec Digital means it's easier for you to find us on Google. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button. It does help support the show. It helps keep you in the loop with when we post new episodes. And for anybody who hasn't tuned in before, we post every Friday. So if you hit the subscribe button and come back every Friday, midday or early afternoon, you should see the next episode on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Today, we're in episode four, part four of a series we're doing all about social. So what we're trying to do is give Shopify store owners as much advice as we can about social media and how you can generate some sales, some income and some new customers from using the various social platforms that are available. So far, we've heard from a number of different guests and some of the interesting learnings have been a huge focus so far on Facebook and Instagram as two of the best places to start generating sales. Today, we're talking about something quite different and something you probably read about in the news. You've probably seen other businesses do and probably think it's an enormous gold mine and there's lots of money to be made. You just don't know where to start. And you're probably right and you're probably wrong as well, depending on your business. But that is exactly what we're going to be talking about today is influencer marketing. Just before we dive in, I just want to flag as well that when we get into May, we're going to have a very, very special series as well on automating your business. It's going to be sponsored by Bright Pearl again, who have been on the show quite a bit in the past. One of our favorite partners to work with, given the integration with Shopify. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Make sure you stay in touch with us and keep listening to the podcast and supporting the show. And that series, again, is going to be in May. And then after that, we're planning a business growth series. So we're talking about how to hire staff, how to get finance, all that sort of stuff. And I'm just in the process of lining up some excellent guests for exactly that. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my very special guest today. He's not only a good friend of mine, but also amazing at what he does. His name is Paul. He's from a company called Traverse, and you can find them on Google by searching Traverse Events. Paul, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. It's really good to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. And all I can say is this is probably one of the coldest environments that you and I have ever had a conversation in, (laughs) given some of the places we've been around the world on various trips and doing some of the influencer work that we've done over the years. But um, just before we dive in, do you want to give us a quick overview of of what Traverse does, your background, Paul, and what brought you to uh, to the show today? Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, it could go go way back, but I've started out as a blogger, uh, believe it or not. So a content creator where I used to uh, start a blog um, back in 2006, believe it or not, uh, when I was traveling. And um, I've since become a digital nomad as well. So I work on the road, but uh, not so much lately because of uh, the current situation. But um, it is what it is at the moment. 
And also off the back of blogging, I started a business called Traverse and it started out as a conference for content creators back in 2013. And it was all about learning the skills of content creation. So at the time it was kind of like starting social media because social media was quite new back in the day. Or it could have been like shooting video or even starting Instagram. Back in those days, Instagram was uh, only on iPhone only at the time as well. Oh, so, I do you remember that? Yeah. Long time ago. Yeah, those days. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also an agency as well. So we do a lot of um, marketing campaigns for brands and uh, a lot of work with tourism destinations as well around the world. Cool. And obviously, Traverse, most of the work, hence the name Traverse, a lot of it's with travel companies, isn't it? Sort of bloggers on the move. So, as you mentioned, tourism boards and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's primarily um, travel-based companies. We do sometimes do other work with other brands as well, but uh, mainly in the travel sphere and a lot of destination marketing as well. But uh, it keeps us on our toes and uh, keeps us traveling when we can. Nice. And I, I, one thing I love about Traverse as well, just to, just to big them up, is they run these conferences every year for bloggers, which I've been lucky enough to come and speak at and, uh, and get involved. And it's just amazing seeing the community actually that's built around Traverse now. You know, when you guys have like a sponsored drinks evening in London, the amount of different bloggers and YouTubers and whoever else come, come flocking along partly because of the free drinks and what's going on in the companies, but also because there is that real community. And I think one thing we talk about a lot on the show with, um, with Shopify store owners is how they've built a community with their customers. And obviously your bloggers aren't, they are in some ways a customer, but they're not really a customer in the same way. But I think just that community element, yeah. just before we dive into the actual influence a bit, I'd love to just hear a bit more of the story of how that community's built and where it's going and you know, kind of how involved it's also been during COVID, which is a very, very different time. Yeah, I guess... Um from the kind of top level kind of view we we have two parts of the business which is like we have the content creators which we help to learn new skills and build their own businesses or freelance businesses around content creation so that's where the community side of things comes into play we host a lot of events where they can come along socialize network or potentially learn skills as well uh, on the other side of the business we have the tourism destinations and brands which we help with marketing campaigns and influencer campaigns and that sort of thing so we, we do a bit of both but yeah the events kind of create the community and and, and tie people together and help with networking as well as, as well as uh, having a few drinks and a bit of fun as well along the way yeah definitely definitely and i haven't actually told you yet paul but i've even got one of your uh, one of your content creators tom archer is going to be the photographer at my wedding so um <laughs> yeah it's 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 amazing how many connections have come from those drinks evenings yeah and where better than traveling around the world to do it as well but um anyway we'll stop gloating at, at, at our audience about the amount of uh, travel we've got to do with work but um Let's, let's start to about influencer marketing then. So obviously, most of the people listening are in the e-commerce sphere. They're running online shops, etc. Yeah. What is the influencer marketing? What's an influencer? What can it do for an online store? What can it do for an online store? I think it's an untapped area, really. I think if you think about um, a business back in the day before social media and that kind of stuff, you'd uh, build a website and you'd have adverts or you'd have SEO to drive people to your website and then to convert. But these days you have a real big opportunity to kind of really show like the authentic side of your product and educate people around your product in a proper setting where someone's actually using your product. And to do that, you've really got to use influencers. They're in a unique position to communicate their experience with your product. And you've got to be where your audience is and your audience is all over social, really. So it's very important to be there where 
people are consuming this content. Sure. And so what, what might a relationship look like then? You know, just very top level at the moment. We'll, we'll dig in as we go through. But what might a relationship look like then between a, an e-commerce business and an influencer in terms of campaign work, the sort of things the business will actually get out of it, the tangible deliverables, that sort of thing? I think it's, I think it depends on the size of the business and, and how, how much budget you have, so to speak. But I think um, it's always good to keep an eye on who's in your niche of your product and who's um who's got like a community that's well established and engaged and if you can tap into those people they don't need to be huge influences they could be micro influences but if you can work with those guys and establish like a relationship that works both ways i'm pretty sure you can uh, work together and, and drive some traffic that could well convert nice and i think yeah one of the things that i, I think has been interesting about influence marketing is a lot of people i found sit on either side of this kind of fence and one side maybe it's not a fence but two different approaches to it one is that they want traffic so they want an influencer to send traffic to their website via the influencer's audience so they might have a hundred thousand people on instagram or youtube and they want to send that traffic into the site in the hope and the pretense that 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 traffic will then buy products and then the other side of them it's actually a case of as you say content creation but the content is created for the business so that might be, you know, a Facebook advert that is a video and that video was created um, with some sort of travel product created via a blogger or an influencer who was out traveling at the time, creating the content for the business. Equally, there's also this whole other sphere of photographers who are not just photographers, but influencers. Tom Archer being a good example, who should probably get him on the show at some point. But um, Tom is a good example where he's, you know, he's paid to go to different places around the world shoot lots of pictures and it's kind of twofold he's got an audience that can benefit from that photography being pushed out on facebook and instagram to his audience but equally the actual people who've hired him and sent him out they also get a copy of the content to use on you know if it was a hotel they could use the content on their website of you know drone shots of the hotel or time lapses from the top floor across the city all this sort of stuff so there's quite a few different angles to it if if you know what you're doing. I think, yeah, that's an interesting aspect of it where, you know, you can hire content creators to create the content that you can't get yourself. I think it, there's been a lot of um, democratization of uh, photography and videographies where like it used to be you'd have to have a dark room to get photos developed and out there. But nowadays it's kind of like everyone's got the equipment. And if you can tap into people who have the talent as well, then um, there's no reason why you shouldn't do that for your own products. I just had a random thought. Can you imagine if the iPhone was released and the Samsung and whatever taking pictures, but you still had to go to a dark room to get them developed? <laughs> Can you imagine the carnage and the demand actually for dark room I know. developers? It'd be absolutely ridiculous. I think sometimes we forget. I'm old enough to remember those times though. And it's, it's like, there's no barriers to entry now, you know, to go and create this content. Whereas in the past, it was maybe the price point of the cameras and the equipment. I mean, even as we were talking earlier about, um, you know, very briefly about microphones, for everybody listening, Paul's got an amazing microphone he's using right now with a nice big, um, uh, what's it called, a boom mic on the front and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, so it sounds nice and crisp. Our editor asked me when I first took over the podcast how good my microphone was. And I told him I was using a sort of eleven ninety nine, as in £11.99, $12 sort of thing, straight off Amazon, which is just Apple's own wired headphones. You know, nothing fancy. And he couldn't believe how crisp it was. But I think in terms of content... better than mine. Yeah, in terms of content creation, I think it's, it's similar. I think you're right, Paul, that actually the authenticity is key. And I've certainly seen video content that's shot super professionally and super crisp. 
totally underperform on advertising or in you know Google display ads or YouTube advertising, Facebook ads, etc. I've seen that the kind of professional camera TV crew approach completely fall short of just an influencer with their iPhone out on the road going, guys, let me show you Croatia. And, you know, they show them Croatia. They link to lots of, you know, travel agents at the end of it and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think people want to see the real experience. And if you're not providing that content, then people won't be aware of it. You know, it's you've got YouTube and, and Google as search engines. And if you're not, like, educating people around your products, then... You know, you, you're missing a big opportunity there, I think. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to the next question then, and I think this is a really important question, the one that's going to be burning in people's ears of, you know, so far this sounds great, Nick and Paul. You guys are talking about, you know, going on lots of lovely holidays and shooting lots of photography and the blogger's going to, or the influencer and content creator can have a great time. How, how does it actually work then in terms of, and I know your answer is going to start with the word depends, but what are some of the aspects that brands should be looking at to actually gain some sort of um, revenue from this? Are they, are they going to see it in Google Analytics and just go, oh, look, we hired that content creator and they've made us $50,000? Or actually, is it more complicated than that? Is it, does it have a different purpose? Yeah, I think it's often misunderstood, influencer marketing. And I think sometimes you get people who try it and they'll be like, didn't work for us. And I think sometimes it's a misconception that maybe they've thought that, you know, the awareness aspect of your buyer's journey you know, they're doing the awareness stuff, but they're not doing the interest and decision-making part where they're trying to convert straight off the bat, say on Instagram. So they're posting stuff out there with influencers and it's, it's like, here's our product, buy it now. And it's like, this is the first time anyone's ever seen the product, right? So why would I buy it straight away? <laughs> sure. So I think a lot of the time it's, it's that kind of awareness stage, getting confused with the interest and maybe decision-making stage. So I think it's really up to the person who owns the company or the marketeer to come up with the foolproof kind of marketing campaign plan that's watertight and it's really going to work. You've really got to think like, am I doing this for awareness or am I doing this to educate people about my products? And I think it's you could be doing both at the same time, but it's just key to have that all worked out up front and know what you're doing and set your goals and KPIs to not be disappointed, essentially. Yeah, definitely. And I think certainly as an SEO person, I'm guilty of advising clients on, we should work with this blogger and give them this UTM code so we can see exactly how much traffic arrives in Google Analytics from them. And then going back and going, they were rubbish. We made absolutely no money from any of that traffic at all. They weren't buy ready. And we're right in saying, you know, they weren't buy ready, yeah. which actually means that the client and we and everyone, we misunderstood you know, what, what the purpose of using the blogger was. Yeah, I think sometimes it can be confusing for people and they'll go like, oh, these influencers just didn't, they were supposed to sell loads of products and they didn't. It's like, well, that wasn't their job. Your job was to come up with a campaign that was going to drive the sales. You're using the influencers, you know, to get it out there and to get your message out there. But you've got to craft the message and work with them and put it out there. Yeah, definitely. And I think one one equation I was reading the other day online on somebody's blog, and apologies, if anyone listens to this podcast regularly, they'll reference that I constantly <laughs> remember things I've read and forget where they've come from. I'm useless at attributing things, apologies. But there's a really, really good point I read online that was basically saying that the influencer marketing can be really, really effective if you have a few things. And a few, one of the things they listed was a clear brand name, a clear product and a clear reason why somebody should buy that product. And then, and this is trying to shorten, as you mentioned, the, the funnel, the, the customer journey, trying to shorten it a little bit by actually saying that if you're watching, you know, if an audience were watching their favorite influencer on Instagram or the favorite content creator, etc., and 
they were tuning into those guys and they kept seeing this same water bottle. And then one day they checked the description and the water bottle was linked to in the description. It was a really cool water bottle. You know, I want to buy it. And that can shorten the journey a bit. But equally, if it wasn't in the description or they just saw it or they saw like, they, you know, they saw a product in a, in a YouTube video they were watching and thought, this is like the fifth or sixth time I've seen that same product. You know, and it's got a clear name on the side. It's called XYZ. And then they go and Google that thing. And obviously, you've done your SEO. You're number one for your own brand name, at least. And then people can start coming in and buying it. And I think it's definitely true that when we've embarked on influencer marketing or one of our clients has, we've seen things like brand search on Google and direct traffic increase because people are starting to see the product around because of all the awareness that's being created. It's hard to attribute because that direct traffic, that brand awareness is... It's kind of everybody's reward. Everybody's inputted into that. So I think you're absolutely right, Paul. It's, it, you've got to find the right position in the funnel to make it work. As you know, online, it's quite difficult to you know, attribute that where it's come from because there's so many different touch points along the way. It could be that they've seen something on Instagram and then late in the day, someone's talked to them about it offline and then they've gone to Google, they search for something or they've gone on YouTube and they've seen a tutorial on it and then they've clicked on someone's link because they're affiliate and then they bought it and you're like, well, don't know how they've gone through so many different places but it's really hard to identify exactly where they come from. Yeah. Or what I do, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the most useless customer when it comes to attribution because I go on Google, find whatever I want or go to websites I know of, find products. Sometimes I just window shop and I sort of land on a site and I literally say to myself, go on then Nike, sell me something. You know, like <laughs> what, what's big and if I like it, I'll buy it. If I don't like it, I won't buy it kind of thing. And other times I have a specific thing I want to buy. But I'm awful because I often then go to like a cashback site or something to get cash back on the purchases I make. So attribution wise... I look like I've come from a referral source. So what we've been doing a little bit with our clients on that particular attribution model point, we've started telling Google Analytics to ignore certain referral sources and cashback sites and some of the affiliates. If there's any kind of cashback or discount, Mm -hmm. we've been telling Google Analytics to ignore that step of the journey. So if they've come through SEO or through PPC on Google ads, and then they've bought something and then, but the, the, you know, they have used Quidco or they, which is one I use in the UK, or they have used a, you know, cashback website or something. If they have used that to ignore it. So it will still say it has come from SEO or PPC, which I think is important, but you're right. I think with influencer marketing, it's so far up the funnel. I think you've got to remember the viewers of the influencers, they're not buy ready. They're not looking for this stuff. They're watching a video and then something's been placed in front of them. That then, you know, it's not necessarily, I think, as you say, if people start using phrases like, you know, go and buy this now, purchase it online, half price discount, I think you're just going to turn people off too quickly. And it's really bad for the influencer to be doing that as well for their own sake, because people don't want to be sold to. No, they don't want to be sold to. They do want to see the product in like real people's hands and their real experience of it. I know um, I did a little test because I used to be an SEO back in the day as well. I did a little test on YouTube. It's just after we met, you were still working in SEO, actually. Probably, yeah. I've, I've not been um, keeping tabs on it these days, but uh, yeah, I used to be um, for my sins. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was um, back in the day, I did a little test where I did a terrible unboxing video of this TV. Mm. And the reason why I did it is because it was like this Samsung TV and uh, it was a designer TV, but I realized there was no like authentic content out there about it, only like proper press release stuff from Samsung. Yeah. And I was looking for it when I bought the TV. I was like, I can't see this TV in anyone's living room. I can't see exactly what it looks like, only like professionally shot, glossy pictures. So I did this really bad, 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 bad <laughs> YouTube video. And uh, <laughs> I stuck it on YouTube because I knew people would probably be searching for it. But yeah, they were basically doing research to see what this 
TV looks like before they purchase it. So um, yeah, they've got this. They've got this video up. It's got about ninety thousand views or something like that, and loads of comments. Everyone's like wanting to know about it because there's just not that much information about it. And then randomly one day, I was in a pub in London, and this guy tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, "You're that guy from YouTube, aren't you?" <laughs> I was like, "No, no, not me." He's like, yeah, yeah, you did that unboxing that TV. Oh, I recognized you. He was like, is it any good? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's pretty good, mate. He's like, oh, nice, nice. I'm thinking of buying it. So yeah, I think that's nearly a conversion. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think some things like that are quite interesting. And as you know, I've got a few friends that are YouTubers. And I, I did have one of them who I gave him a pair of sunglasses when I was still running my uh, sunglasses Shopify store um, a few years ago. And, and I remember every time he wore them, he just tagged us quickly on Instagram. And he tagged our Instagram account. And I knew when he did it because he was based out in the US. And every time he did it, I suddenly got a whole load of notifications in the middle of the night on the Shopify app on my phone going, you've had an order, you've had an order, you've had an order. And what was annoying is the pair we'd given him, we didn't have much stock of. <laughs> so we sold out in next to no time. And then, of course, a couple of people came back and said, oh, I've broken mine. Or I think there was something wrong with the warranty. Or can I get another pair? And it's like, well, we haven't got any. And so... Yeah, if, if that's you, then please, uh, or if, if that's you as the business owner um, and you're having those kind of issues with warranty and stock, please do tune into the Bright Pearl series because we'll be talking about all of that kind of logistical stuff in that series in May. But what was interesting about the, just going back to the influence a bit, is it was interesting how much it penetrated in terms of he just wore these things and linked to them in a couple of videos and a couple of um, Instagram posts kind of thing. And people were buying stuff. That's crazy. I, I guess we've like... Um... You know, the price of products is, is pretty important at that point. Like if it's a low ticket kind of item, how much were they, these sunglasses? Um, are they only like 20 or $30 a pair sort of thing? So I, I guess it's kind of like you can do the awareness bit with influencers on Instagram for low ticket items like that. And potentially like people will buy them off the bat because, you know, the, the price isn't too high. But if you're selling like a three grand coffee machine, it's going to take a little bit more research before people commit. Yeah, or a car, which, you know, things like cars and TVs, that is much more where influencer marketing is. And I think sometimes it's because the overall volume of marketing budget is so high that they can afford to put a little bit of money, you know, I say a little bit, still significant cash, but it's, a li- it's only a little bit in the total percentage of budget. And they probably, again, going back to attribution, it's really hard to attribute then which channels made the most impact. But certainly there's, there's a lot of like car YouTubers, certainly in the UK, who, you know, profile new cars and they talk about all the new features and functions and, there's one called CarWow in the UK. I've got no affiliation to them whatsoever, but I love them. I've bought three cars now over the last um, seven or eight years. Two of them were brand new as well, purely because of reviews I watched on CarWow. There's a guy called Matt, who's an absolute legend. But that, that in my opinion, is that's really good influence marketing. It's like, it's natural. I was searching, you know, this car versus that car. And they had a video of those two cars. And they have a, you know what kind of review you're getting on every video. So you can watch... Are they sponsored by um, the manufacturer then? No, they're not. But what they have done now is they've set up... um, It's become a full business. It started as just a YouTube account. But um, I got £7,000 off my brand new car last June just by saying I came after watching the video on their YouTube channel because they have an affiliation discount. And they then got a kickback from Audi as well when I bought the car. So instead of having... Yeah, they're not paid to do the influence marketing. That is their marketing to then make an affiliate commission... Because you can go on, on their website, you can search for cars, you can find what you want. That's crazy. But I think it is really powerful. That's, that's a really good example of, um, you know, having an affiliate scheme or a partnership scheme that's, um, you know, beneficial for both parties. They need the products to kind of review, but also, you know, both parties are winning in terms of 
you know, financially. Sure, sure. We'll come back to affiliates in a sec. I think it's a really interesting point, actually. Let's cover that in a second. I think there's one step before that. If a brand was thinking, okay, we want to do some influencer marketing, in your opinion, Paul, where do they start? Like, do they just go on some YouTube channels and start emailing people? Do they go to an agency? Like, what, what are some of the things they need to do before they start reaching out? How should they reach out, et cetera? I think it depends on the size of your business, but I think if you're fairly small, then I, I, it's kind of, you could go for an agency, but I personally would probably just start monitoring social media myself because you should know your niche, really. You should know who's out there talking about your particular products. Um, so it shouldn't be that hard to identify people who have a community around your product and have an engaged audience. Hmm. You can then identify them and you can check that they've got a decent amount of followers. They might still be a micro-influencer, but still have strong engagement. Um, you can re- reach out to them and have a chat, just have an email. People are usually quite open. I think it's it's about building that relationship. So, you know, just being open and transparent having a little chat and seeing where it can go because there's a lot of like like the the car example you used a lot of channels or you know instagram channels or youtube channels they need products to be reviewing and to be talking about so it's a win-win situation especially when you add the affiliate schemes and partnerships to that as well especially tech as well i think tech's another really big area that I personally have used a lot over the years. Like I've just bought a new Fitbit watch and I've decided to, even though I'm a massive Apple fan, um, I think they're the best of the worst in my opinion, but I've, um, I've moved away from Apple watch now and I've, I've just gone for a Fitbit because I don't use the smartwatch functions, but even saying I don't use the smartwatch functions that came from reading reviews on blogger websites and also then watching YouTube videos of what's the best fitness tracker on the market for me and then great news the one i got was exactly the same as my fiance so her and i both have the same watch so we can compare stats on steps and <laughs> workouts and whatever it makes it all a bit more fun yeah yeah, yeah. No, i think it's, it's an interesting way of doing it and so i love what you say i think certainly for smaller stores i think there's nothing to stop you reaching out you know a lot of these as you say a lot of these channels and quite a lot of bloggers they need stuff to be reviewing especially if they are reviewers yeah and i think getting your products you know if they are your own products you're not drop shipping or anything as long as they're your own products i would absolutely endorse getting a few um influencers start talking about this stuff yeah i I think being open and honest with people and like contacting them arranging a meeting having a chat with them it may they may turn around and say oh i need paying for this i need a lot of money for this or they might just be happy to have the product to review because they need that to create content so I don't think there's a rule. I think it's um, everything's negotiable and um, it's about being transparent and trying to work together and finding a win-win kind of situation for both parties. I think it's been interesting actually talking to content creators at a lot of your events and some other influencer events I've been to and talking to actual content creators about fees. And it's always... I love asking the question because I'm not a content creator, so I've no, I've no skin in the game here. <laughs> and it's interesting seeing, depending on the group of people you're currently standing with, seeing what their responses are. And some of them go, you know, some of them kind of pipe up like, oh, I've been screwed over so many times. I don't work for less than this. And other people are like, I'd just be happy if I had a product to review. And it's, yeah. it is interesting because in that particular scenario, the first person had a smaller audience than the second. But the bigger and better engaged audience, in my opinion, were happy to do something for free. And then the smaller audience was like, no, no, I'm only working for this fee. And it's like you say, it's all negotiable and they're all, they're all individuals. They're not, they're not even micro businesses. They're just individual freelancers, a lot of them. So you just got to work something out. And sometimes it's good to have a little mechanism, you know, we'll, we'll let you keep the product at the end of it. Or if this goes well and drives new traffic, we'll give you an affiliate link. And do you want to just cover how the affiliate links work, Paul? Because it's a massive area of the influencer market now. Affiliates. Ooh. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, 
it's often um, talked about in, in various different podcasts. I think you could do a whole podcast on it. Um, <laughs> Probably. But yeah, I think it's it's about getting an affiliate scheme set up. I don't know whether people are aware of affiliates on your podcast. but um, It's not something we touched yet, but I think we should definitely put it in the, uh, in the schedule. Yeah, essentially it's providing content creators with a link to your product so people can click on that and convert and buy the product and the influencer will get a percentage of the sale. And that can be vary depending on how you want to set it up. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of little bits of software people can use on, to do that setup, isn't there? Especially, especially in, given my experience with Shopify, there will definitely be some applications out there where you can give the influencer a link and it will record that someone's visited your site from their site and purchased on that visit or on a later visit sort of thing, which, again, is a nice way of doing it because then the influencer is only free until they make you money and they only get a cut of what you make. But equally as a caveat, anyone who's sort of sitting there now going, right, stop the podcast, we're doing that, we've heard enough this week, see you later, Nick. Um, just as a caveat to that, just to say, well, actually, that might not be the best route. And I think it really does depend on the business. And I think taking a step back and thinking, like we, we always come back to the same stuff on the podcast, who is your customer? How do you want to engage with them? And actually, if you're selling walking sticks to the over 60s, yeah, Facebook and especially Instagram is not going to be where you need to go and TikTok would not recommend those channels. However, if you are selling the latest Nike bag or whatever, then actually some of those channels are a good place to go. And vice versa, there are, you know, the Facebook audience is getting almost a year older every year because people are growing up with it. You know, people in their 60s now are very used to using Facebook in, you know, a lot of the major sort of Western markets like UK, US. So I think, yeah, I think going back to the basics, know your customer, know where they are, and then probably look to find influence in that space as opposed to just oh, that one's offered us an affiliate program, or there's no harm done, let's go with them. Because the wrong person talking about your business can can harm you. And and Google's watching all of this for SEO as well. They want to see who's talking about who. I think, yeah, that, it goes back to like knowing your audience and knowing your business. And if you know your audience, then you, you're going to know where they are, right? So, or where the audience you want to attract. I know there was a a case studies with um i think walker's chris or lays chris i'm not sure we're the same company and they wanted to attract more millennials and, and those types of customers because uh i think they've kind of like grown old with probably my my generation which i'm slightly out of the millennial <laughs> um so they 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 went i think i'm just at just just in the middle of it actually but uh, we won't won't dwell on that <laughs> yeah i'm kind of on the cusp i'm on the weird cusp where i'm like i'm neither um, but yeah, they, they did a campaign where they ran it on Instagram because that was they wanted to break into that demographic. And um, they I think they created like 22 new flavors and they, they challenged people to talk about what the flavor, what kind of memories the flavor invoked and then post a photo about it on Instagram. So they got a lot of traction around that audience. And it was kind of it wasn't their mainstay audience, but it was like this is the new audience they wanted to go to. And, and they wanted to put out this impression of kind of being a little bit different and, and trying new things, that kind of stuff. So it, it is like having that marketing plan and knowing where your audience is or the audience you want to gain is. So that could be, you know, TikTok for youngsters, uh, Instagram for millennials, perhaps, and Facebook for the older audience. And then uh, where do we go from there? You know, <laughs> print advertising. <laughs> I have to admit on the uh, on the TikTok comment, one of my team said to me earlier, um, given that I run a, a couple of different digital agencies, uh, one of my team said, Nick, you know, on, you know when you're on TikTok, right? And I said, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I've never actually down. I refuse to download the app. I, I'm much more about quality content and, you know, long term, I think. If TikTok's good enough for TikTok, I'll find it on Instagram or Facebook later on. But I am, um, yeah, I'm starting to get old enough to be stubborn in my ways as to what platforms I'll use. But uh, I did uninstall it and then put it back on again because it's just 
the app's set up so much that you scroll and you've lost half an hour before you know it because you just keep scrolling. Yeah. Um, and Instagram's, you know, copying that a lot as well. It is. It is. I think Instagram's definitely changing in the way it works. And I think one thing I love about Instagram, which is partly related to influencer marketing, is the way that in- Instagram actually displays adverts, they look so natural in the feed now. Yeah. And actually they look... I find they look better than almost any other ad on any other platform. Yeah. Just in the way that they, they pop through the feed. They're so, they're very, regardless of what content you put in, they're very quiet. It's kind of like you can engage with the ad if you want or not. You can have several pictures and swipe across. Amazon regularly advertised to most of us, you know, and they'll show me 10, 10 images of 10 things I've bought recently or similar items or things I might be interested in. It's really smart, but it's not invasive. You know, it's not an overlay. It's not uh, an email in my inbox. It's a kind of engage if you want, don't if you don't want to. And if you don't engage, it doesn't cost the advertisers. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice way of doing it, I think. Yeah, they've got a very fine balance to tread there, I think, with Instagram because, you know, you've got, they, they want to make money off it, but uh, they don't want to alienate the users. It's it's surprising how, how long it's been going for as well and how it's still very popular. Yeah, definitely. But it's definitely evolved. I think we, as a Traverse, we kind of, used to use Instagram more of like the social media awareness element on a campaign. Yeah. So we would put out content there from bloggers and um, Instagrammers who are on, on there as bloggers as well. Um, they would put out photos about their experience on a trip perhaps, but they would follow that up with blog posts or maybe YouTube videos. Nice. And those YouTube videos and blog posts are more of the, like the long form content, more of the interest and decision-making kind of aspects of the user's journey where you could do more of the research around the trip or the product. So you could really dig down into like, how do I get there? Uh, where can I stay? You know, where do I get the bus from and this kind of stuff. So we would use those different platforms in different ways. But now Instagram's kind of, um, it's, it's gone a little bit more, not totally long form, but it's got longer videos and stuff. It's got reels as well. Yeah. It's even got like, you can search by keyword these days. So um, back in the day, it used to just be hashtags and stuff. So it was a little bit more limited. But yeah, we, we used to use it in that way. We'd kind of do the awareness phase via Instagram and uh, we would kind of do a bit more SEO stuff via blogs and YouTube. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like the... The main recommendation we give when we're working with clients on um, on SEO is, is bloggers, purely because of the longevity. And I'll be honest, that's something I've learned from being at Traverse over the years. I, I think the first time I came to one of your events, I knew you had been a blogger, but I quite naively said, like, do people read blogs? Like, is that a thing? And then talking to some of the bloggers there and finding out their stats, I was like, <laughs> absolutely gobsmacked. Uh, you know, some of them getting millions of hits a month of like unique visitors and yeah. absolutely ridiculous. But the thing with a blog post is it's, it's a web page. Oh, yeah. It'll be there for years and years and years. Whereas, you know, TikTok and Instagram, it's good for making a bit of hype and, and that kind of thing, but you've got to be consistent to keep the hype up. Yeah, yeah. And then something we're, we're actually going to talk about in May as well. One of our guests was talking about how they continue to create content when there's nothing else to write about. And they said, actually, the more resource they're getting, the more there is to write about. It was when there was only one or two of them. It was they were almost kind of blinded by the fact that the, the two of them in the business couldn't think of what to write about on their blog. And they've got quite a dry, quite a dry product. Part of an IT system is their product. And it's, yeah, it's very, very dry. Whereas now they said they've got, they've actually employed a customer who left a review on their Trustpilot. They've now hired as their in-house content creator, which I think is amazing. So what, what are some of the things then, Paul, when you're setting out to run a campaign? So if a business said, right, we're going to start a campaign, we're going to go to market with XYZ, we want to sell more products, we want to raise awareness. They're a good business for this in the sense they've got quite a unique product, they've got a strong brand name. If you heard it a couple of times, you'd remember it. The product is memorable, it solves a problem, all that. Kind of, what are some of the things they need to think about to make the campaign successful? So we've done the marketing strategy bit. 
what are the kind of things that they need to bear in mind when they're when they're running this campaign or working with influencers? That's a good question. Um, I think there's a lot of things that could trip you up along the way. I think identifying the right influencers early on is is quite key. But it's it's easier said than done because if you're running a business or you've you know you've got products that you want to sell, it's not always your number one priority to find influences or keep an eye on influences that might be wanting to work with you and be reliable, be professional and create great content. So I think finding those people is quite difficult. Yeah. As Traverse, we're, we're always monitoring different influences and, and checking out the content, making sure that we, we've got a big pool of people who create awesome content and are great people as well. I think the community that we have kind of helps with that as well because we get to lo- meet a lot of people face-to-face as well because you need people who are going to be professional and going to deliver good stuff. And on the surface, it's sometimes quite difficult to tell whether that's going to be the case. So a lot of people will get burnt by, you know, having bad experiences with people who may not be that professional. So I think identifying the right people and, and building those relationships that potentially could last quite long into the future and you could work with them in 12 months, two years, that kind of thing. So I think that is that is quite a key area. One interesting case study that's just sprung to mind, and I, I make a point of not naming names because then I can tell you more of the numbers. 60% of their web traffic came from the same blogger. And she ran this blog. She was a young mum with a couple of kids. But the actual Shopify store sold jewellery. Now, I reckon there's probably a few hundred people listening in who work for or run their own jewellery shops on Shopify, given how many people come through our door as well from the podcast and everything else. There's a lot of people who run jewelry shops. And it's amazing to see that actually so much traffic came in from this one influencer. And when we highlighted that, we it's a very new business. So I'm not going to judge the team too much here, but they sort of said, oh, we didn't realize so much was coming in. And it was a bit like, okay, you're running a digital only business. It is an online shop. You guys need to know Google Analytics through and through. And I think on one hand, it was great to see so much traffic coming from this influencer from her blog. And she was just a young mum. And every two or three weeks, she did a blog post about jewellery. And she would always feature these guys. She'd talk about two or three different items or pieces she's got. They're called pieces in that industry. And she'd always talk about these different bits and pieces. But she would always have this client of ours there. But the client just hadn't realised. So on one hand, it was good. All that traffic's coming in. And it was converting really, really well. Her audience loved this stuff. And it, it was built over time. On the flip side... When I asked the marketing team, they had no connection to this influencer whatsoever. She'd done it completely off her own back. And I was sort of like, do you realize the opportunity here? And they ended up actually creating her own range on their website. It was all their stuff. They just built her own category of products with three or four subcategories. But that's it, isn't it? Finding someone who's like an advocate of your product already and is an influencer or content creator off the bat is like a massive win. So, I mean, maybe that's the first port of call before reaching out to people. If you can do a bit of research and see whether there's any massive yeah. content creators who are advocates of your products, then start there. No, I think I think that's absolutely right. And it's, I think at the end of the day, people are in this to make money. If you run an online shop, revenue is absolutely key. Numbers are so important. Hence the series we're going to run in June about finance and how to actually build the, you know, sort of the backbone of the business. But I think the on the flip side, sometimes you won't see the fruit of your labor until a lot later on. So I think, what would your advice be then, Paul? And probably, probably last question, just keeping an eye on the, uh, on the clock. What would your view be on when to start influencer marketing? Do you think it's something they should adopt really quickly or wait until they're ready or wait until they've got a bit of extra cash to put into something? Or when's a good time for a, an online shop to start thinking about 
influencers if it was me I'd, I'd start straight away i think it's it's an opportunity to show your product in the wild so to speak so there's no reason why you shouldn't be getting out there letting people review it being honest with your product having that transparency you can't just rely on your you know having your own product glossy product shots of something you know let's see it in the wild let's see what it's really like and how people uh, experience it because you know people want to buy the story behind a product they don't want to buy you know the glossy press release about a product so i think i think i'd start straight away i would do some research and try and find people in my niche who have a little community they're micro influencers um, they've got engagement and just reach out to them build that relationship and uh, go from there you don't necessarily have to have a massive budget to begin with you can negotiate that you can talk to people and be transparent i think people appreciate that um but i would i would start early and then you don't have to, um, you know, start when you're already established and it's an extra thing to do. You've already grown it organically over the months. I think I think it's a valid point. And equally, if somebody is quite down the road and you've got 50 staff already, it's never too late. But I think the, th- the same thing I'm hearing over and over again from you, Paul, which I think is absolutely relevant, is you've got to find the right influencers with the right thing at the right time. And I think perhaps even starting with product testing is something that sprang to mind of, why don't you get a few influencers to product test and sort of say to them, we want to embark on quite a long-term journey, you know, potentially a long-term journey with you. Would you be interested in doing a couple of product tests, but let us review the content before you push it out kind of thing? Because then at least something then goes out. And again, it's something you can promote. You can agree with them. We will be allowed to promote your face, your content for our products um, if we should so choose. And we had a, a chat called Kevin on from Voy Media, who are based out in New York. They're Facebook advert um, specialists, and they swore by um, video content for Facebook ads. He said it's the thing that sells products. And they've even got a bit of a sort of storyboard and framework he went through on the podcast, which is amazing about have this little intro, show the problem, all very emotive, and then bam, here's the solution. You know, engage them in the first five seconds. And I asked him very briefly after we'd finished talking, do you ever do much with influencers? And he goes, oh my gosh, if a client has an influencer that we can work with to get the video content that we need for our advertising, it can easily be two, maybe even three times as effective. Yeah, it's that authenticity, I think. Yeah, it's not guaranteed. It's, you know, they know what they're doing. They've got the track record. So they'll know how to get the right content out of that that influence. But I think you're right. Authenticity is so important. I think it's having that content as well. You can can do your own content, but it's never going to be that authentic, is it? It's not really going to be the real story behind it and i think if you can tap into influencers or and and customers as well using user generated content i think that's the way to go from the start really i mean i think if it was um maybe h&m or some clothes brand like that as well they always have the images at the bottom which are people wearing the clothes who've bought them oh yeah like almost like on an instagram feed kind of like here are customers wearing stuff or here are some influencers trying things on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's always the place I go to, <laughs> to have a look whether it looks any good in the wild, you know. I remember seeing something on, um, somebody wore a product from ASOS on Twitter and she put the picture up of her wearing this dress and some online troll was absolutely vile to her, wrote the most horrific kind of review of, or just comment on her Twitter post, yeah. being like, oh, you look horrendous. And that was... And honestly, it would almost bring a tear to your eye. She posted that and put at ASOS and she posted it going, oh my gosh, how can somebody just look at a picture of me and judge me so much? This is disgusting. Yeah. ASOS, I don't know if you've read about this before, ASOS took it one step further and they, they've now used that image on the product <laughs> and said, doesn't she look amazing? Yeah. <laughs> and just, 
I was That's like, great. what a lovely sentiment from ASOS's uh, social media team. Like, yeah. I just thought she was clearly livid. And imagine her response when that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, just absolutely brilliant. The clever way of turning it around into a positive as well. Yeah, definitely. I think we're all, we're all about positivity at the moment, especially <laughs> uh, at the back end of a pandemic. Well, we hope the back end of a pandemic. But, um, but look, Paul, it's been great having you on the show today. Loved our conversation. It's been so good just to get some of your thoughts on this. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And how can people reach out to you? Like, What's a way to get in touch with Traverse or find you guys? Yeah, if you're interested in anything we do, uh, we have lots of events going on when well, hopefully soon <laughs> when things get lifted. We do have um, some social events all the time in, in, in the future. We've, I think we've got one in summer and conferences as well. So if you're interested in being a content creator yourself, even if you're a business and want to dabble in it as well, you can visit our website, uh, which is www.traverse-events.com and loads of details there. Cool. I haven't heard anyone say www for years. I know. So thank you. That's uh, brought <laughs> many memories. <laughs> Cool. Thanks so much for joining us today, Paul. It's been great to have you. Thanks, Nick. If anybody else is listening in and thinking, this podcast is great, you know, we want to hear who you've got next. I don't know is the answer. We uh, At the moment, we're just kind of working week to week. We know what we're doing in May and June. So make sure you tune in again. It's been an absolute pleasure having you all listening in today. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't. And also check out our Facebook group, which is Winning with Shopify. Just search it up on Facebook, get involved in the conversation. And um, yeah, we look forward to having you again with us next week. So take care and we'll be back in a week. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.